Well, folks, it's good to be with you. Uh, if I could just speak selfishly for a moment. You know, during this last couple of years, with all the pandemic and everything going on with it, um, my observation has been that what I have craved, what I have missed the most is corporate worship. Yes. There's a reason that over and over again in Scripture, we read about corporate worship, the people of God coming together and lifting their voice corporately. Ten times more do we read about that than the individual time that we have of worship. Not that that's not meaningful, but I, I can just say for my own soul, it, there's, a, there's a buttressing that happens when I'm with the people of God and I'm being led into the presence of God like we were this morning with Bentley. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, you, you know you've grown up well when you can sing all those songs and they're all familiar to you. And, and even though we're smaller in numbers today, I just don't think you can sing Blessed Assurance quietly, can you? I mean, when you sing Blessed Assurance, like you have to lift your voice. And, and, and like, you know, how great thou art. Another example, you just can't sing that one quietly. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Today, I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to give you a heads up. There's going to be a lot, a lot of scripture verses. I'm not expecting you to turn there, maybe write them down so you can go to them later on. Our poor computer technician today is going to have carpal tunnel finger hitting the, the button uh, a, a lot today, but I want to show you some themes in Scripture today. So if you would join me in prayer, we'll go ahead and we'll invite God to speak to us. Uh, Father, we come to you and we ask that we would have ears to hear, a heart that is tender, soil that is tilled, to receive what you would have for us today. Lead us, God. Use me as you would see fit so that you are exalted, your word is proclaimed, and your people rejoice as we walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I have observed is that there is this real desire to see renewal happen in our churches, especially after the last couple of years that we've, we've gone through. And people are saying, we want to see renewal. We want to see God do a, a new and powerful thing in our church. And I think all of us would say that one of the best ways to ever see that happen is going to be through prayer, that we believe that God moves mightily through prayer. And yet, if we're honest in church today, many of us, though we believe that, though we know Scripture teaches it, we have little personal evidence of that in our own life. We cry to see the move of God, but sometimes we struggle to see it. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
So we all know, I think we all would come here today, if we are followers of Jesus, we would all come and agree with the sentiment that says that prayer is, is the unlocking of the door for the move of God in our community, and in our hearts, and in our world. Yet many of us are not seeing the move of God in our church, in our community, in the four walls of our home, or maybe even in our own soul. And if I were to say to you, well, maybe the problem is you're just not praying. You would say, no, 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 I, I, I do pray. I talk to God a lot. But what I've observed is when people say, oh, I talk to God a lot, you got to unpack what does that really mean? Because there are ways in which we go about praying that really are ineffective. Let me give you a few examples. Here's one. I call this the stuck-on-repeat prayer. Maybe you've heard someone who tries to come off super spiritual when they're praying, and they keep saying the same thing over again. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, Father God, Father God, Father God. And, and they just keep repeating the same word or phrase over and over and over again. Question, do, does anybody do that in conversation with, with people they're in relationship with? If I want a cup of coffee, I don't say to my wife, oh, wife, 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 could you get me coffee, wife, wife? I need I, for, refresh my, my coffee, wife. Oh, wife, wife, wife. She pour the coffee in my lap and think I'm nuts. You don't communicate like that when you are in a real relationship with someone. So why do we do it in prayer? It's not genuine. Another type of prayer that we can fall victim to is what I call the Band-Aid prayer. Somewhere along the line, you got a boo-boo in life. And now you want God to put a bandit over it and fix it. It's, it, it's that, that short prayer that we say that all of a sudden become aware of something. And our prayer consists basically of this, maybe a few extra words, but it's this. Fix it, God. Fix it. Change this. And then we go on with the rest of our life. Nothing more to it. But one of the biggest lessons that I have learned in prayer is that prayer is first and foremost about fixing me and then fixing my problem secondly. And if prayer is supposed to be an extension of a relationship that we have, I want you to think of your relationship with people. What's the caliber, the vitality the trueness of a relationship where the only engagement you have is when you are in need of something and you communicate that need and the conversation ends and you don't pick back up again until you're in need. You wouldn't really call that a relationship. And the person on the receiving end of that would say, no, 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 this isn't a relationship. You're just using me. Another type of prayer that we pray that gets us in trouble, I think, is the fix them prayer. Fix them prayer is when you are praying for somebody else to God, but they're in earshot. So really, in talking to God, you're talking to this person over here. So you're in prayer, and your spouse is there, and you're like, oh, Lord, would you just help my wife not to nag so much? 
Oh God, would you, would you make my husband more attentive and responsive to me? Meanwhile, he's two feet away while this prayer is going on. It's the type of prayer where we go, we use God and make it look like we're talking to God in an attempt to correct somebody else's behavior towards us. Or this one, I call it the autopilot prayer. It's, it's the prayer somebody prays, and before they've opened their mouth, you probably already know four to five go-to phrases they're going to use before they've even started to pray. Like, you just, you know it's going there. It's prescriptive. You can, you can, you can expect it. it. It may be your version of grace at dinner time, and you know this person is going to say the same thing every single time. It's symptomatic of lifeless prayers. And when you and I pray, sometimes we fall into those traps. I say, when we pray. Because if we're honest, many of us don't pray very much. At a minimum, I don't think there's anyone in here who would say, I am praying as much as I should right now. And it begs the question, and it's a very uncomfortable question to ask and an even more uncomfortable question to answer. And here's what the question is. So why don't we pray more? Why don't we? And I think there's only really one honest answer if we're willing to own it. The reason that we don't pray more is because we don't feel like we are seeing a return on that investment. I tried it. I've, I've gone there, and things didn't change. Things didn't get better. And so one of two things happen. Either we just abandon prayer altogether, or we adopt this sort of like um, lifeless prayer thing where we engage, it's a struggle, nothing really happens, it's mediocre at best, all because at some point along the line, we were not getting the return on the investment we thought we should in prayer. And so if you struggle with prayer today, I would say to you, welcome to the family. Because that really illustrates the people of God since the beginning of time. The ones who were the closest to Jesus in proximity were the ones who said, hey, we see what you do in prayer. We see what we do in prayer. Can you help us? We don't really know. We don't know how to pray. And, and James and Peter and Paul all spend time in their epistles trying to help people learn how to do this thing called prayer. Well, in James Chapter 4, I want to go there for a minute. Verse 1, we read this. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Quarrels, guys, are those extended arguments. Quarrels are ongoing things. It's that ongoing issue with that person that never seems to get resolved. What causes quarrels and then fights among you? Fights are the dust-ups. Fights are the things where things are going along really good, and then all of a sudden there's a, there's a spark that hits, and now all of a sudden there's an, there's an argument going on. And so the question that James says here, what causes all of these quarrels? What causes all of these dust-ups, these fights? And he answers the question that he raises. 
Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James says, do do, do you want to know why you have ongoing issues with people? Do you want to know why things can be going really good and then out of nowhere, a dust up, a spark, and an argument, and you say things you regret? Do you want to know why that is? James says, I'll answer it for you. Because of your desires. The reason that you don't really live in harmony with people is because you want what you want when you want it. One of the greatest struggles for every follower of Jesus Christ is self-gratification. We want to do what makes us feel good. And we are so blind to our pursuit of self-gratification, we don't even see it at work in our life. But let me just ask you this question. When you think about the course of this past week, How much time did you spend doing things you didn't want to do? And maybe a follow-up question that would be, and how much effort did it take to get you to do what you didn't want to do? This desire, this is where quarrels come from. This is where fights come from, James would say. Verse 2, you desire but do not have, so you kill. In other words, I'd rather kill a relationship than kill this thing in me that wants what it wants when it wants. I'd rather kill my, uh, my, my relationships, my integrity, my witness for Jesus than my desire for me. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Whoa, time out. Not true. I've asked God for lots of stuff, and I didn't get it. And so I want to raise the question today. Maybe, just maybe, you're asking God for the wrong stuff. Could it be you're asking him for the lesser things while God may be wanting to give you the greater things? Think about the substance of your prayers, the things that you ask God for, and see if they might fit in this category of lesser things. Hey, can I get a new job? Can I get better behaved kids? Can I get more money? Can my spouse be nicer? Can I get that parking spot? For many of us, the common denominator in our prayer life is this. God, give me a wrinkle-free life. The issue isn't that God's unwilling or that God doesn't care about these things, but here's what God knows. A steady diet of the lesser things in your life will inoculate you from asking God for the greater things that he longs to give you. Things like peace in a storm, strength in a trial, joy in the midst of sorrow, hope in the middle of hurt. The greater things God wants to give me is the character of Christ in me that comes out of me. But he knows we'll never ask for the greater things if he keeps giving us the lesser things. God knows the human condition and he knows that we won't ask for his kingdom come in us if he keeps giving us our kingdom here on earth. 
I want you to walk away maybe knowing one thing, and that would be this. God will always give you the greater thing. He will always give you the greater thing as it relates to your Christ-likeness. All you have to do is ask for it and want it. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Jesus says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So if you are here today and you say, I have heavy burdens that I'm carrying. Jesus says, if you get along with me faithfully, honestly, and repeatedly with me, you will find rest. And he is not saying this to a group of people who don't have burdens. Life really isn't easy in that first century of the people that he is talking to. And notice what Jesus promised And maybe more importantly, what he didn't promise. He says, if you want rest, take my yoke and you'll get it. Jesus did not say, I will solve your problem. God always promises to change me and maybe my circumstances. So if you don't have rest for your soul today, James would say, you have not. Because you ask not. He says, if you, take, if you take my yoke upon you, you will have rest. A yoke is this farming analogy, this idea of being adhered to, tethered to, in step to. When was the last time in prayer you said, God, do whatever you have to do in me so that I'm in step with you, tethered to you, adhered to you, in step with you every move I make. That's a powerful prayer. Jesus will answer. And if you don't have that experience, it's because you have not asked for that. See, the issue today is not, does God, the issue today is not, does God know how to give good things to his children? The issue is, do we know how to ask for the right stuff, the deeper stuff? John 3.30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. And if that's not happening in your life, it's because you're not asking for that. Let me read you a few verses that tend to trip us up sometimes. Matthew 21, verse 22 says, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Luke 11, 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. John 14, 3, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so what we have is two groups of people in the church today. We have the charismatics who are going to lean so heavily into this, who believe at any point, in any way, despite whatever's going on in me, these things are going to have if I operate in this, this kind of quasi-state of faith. And then you got those on the other side who go, I don't see that happening. I prayed once and it didn't happen. So I, I, I don't really know what to do with these verses. But if we put them together and understand that if I am abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in me, 
then I will only ask Jesus to do what Jesus would do if Jesus were me in this moment and in this reality. John 16, 23 says, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When we end our prayers within Jesus' name, it's not the stamp at the end of it so that we know how to finish a prayer without it being awkward. In Jesus' name is our passionate pursuit, not our postscript in prayer. In Jesus' name is praying in consistency with his will and his desire for me in this world. See, the, the, the way prayer works, the way prayer becomes effective is when I begin to pray in agreement with the will of God, listen for this, and not the wants of me. Our disconnect in prayer happens when we come to get stuff from God. And he comes at it to try to get stuff in me. We short circuit the purpose and the power of prayer when we try to get first as opposed to becoming first. See, there is a lot more God can and will do in you and through you if you are just spiritually fit to receive it. And prayer is the process by which God makes you spiritually fit to receive what he's already willing to do in your life. And we've got to change the way we think about prayer because prayer is not getting God on my agenda. But think of what we do in prayer. God, I got this going on, I got this going on, and I got this going on. And I got an idea on how you can fix all of it for me. So we bring our agenda to God more than we realize. But maybe prayer is about getting on his agenda. And because we don't think that way, maybe that explains why our prayers are so ineffective and we get so discouraged and want to quit in our prayer life. Look at verse 3 of James 4. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with, look at this, wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Wrong motives is I know what's best for me. I've got a plan. Now give it to me, God. God's not going to answer those prayers. God will never cede his place of authority in prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18 says this. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. See, this is an example of wrong motives. If, if, if I'm born again but my behaviors are wrong, I have unconfessed sin, my motives are impure, my prayers are going nowhere. John chapter 9, verse 31. This is, this is a hard verse, listen to this. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. It doesn't say that he listens to the godly person who attends church watches online. It's the doers of his will. Those are the ones who have God's ears. So what's the point in all this? The point is this. Our behavior impacts 
God's willingness. You cannot be indifferent to the sin that Jesus bled for and died, openly walk in it, excuse it, justify it, celebrate it, or even try to hide it, then go before him to try to get God to do what you want him to do. Why? Because you're not spiritually fit to receive it. Isaiah 59, 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. The reason your prayers are not being answered has nothing to do with God's ability. Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he not cannot, will not, here. When we are openly walking in rebellion to God, we know what we should do. We choose not to do it. God puts our prayers on mute. It's not that he can't. It's that he won't answer them. He is using his silence in our prayer life to disrupt us so much that we might finally be willing to deal with that thing in our life, that, that sin. But sadly, rather than root up that sin, name it, deal with it, go through the hard work of repentance, we just go, you know what? I don't think prayer works. Because we so cherish that sin, we want to continue in that sin more than we want God to move in our life. And so we give up and conclude prayer doesn't work. Instead, our, our perspective should be that of King David in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Can I just tell you that if you have that perspective when it comes to prayer, it's not going to be a 90-second prayer and you're done. You'll be still before the Lord. You'll invite the still, small voice to speak into you and letting him till the soil of your soul. The desire here is to want to be so clean and so pure before God, so much so that you invite him to speak into you and you invite others to speak into you. When is the last time you ever said to anybody, hey, do you see any area in my life where I'm not walking in step with Jesus? Would you point that out to me? Because I want to be so in step with Jesus, I'm willing to let you say a hard thing to me. See, we don't want that. And yet we wonder why our prayer life seems lifeless. Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? God hits the mute button when the idolatrous person comes to him in prayer. And let's face it, we are living in a culture where idolatry is a buffet. 
Go and take your scoop of this and of this and of this and of this. There is more idolatry than we know what to do with. And, and can I ask a difficult question today? When we talk about seeing a powerful move of God today, why is it we don't see it in places like America, but we do in many third world nations overseas? Could it be that they don't have the buffet to choose from of the idols of money, control, entertainment, image management, all these things that we give ourselves to, they really don't have the opportunity to even chase after them. And there is a desperation in them. And we read stories of God moving in powerful ways in countries on the other side of the world, but we don't see it here because we have too many idols. And there is a mute button God presses when the idolatrous person comes to him in prayer. If you want to see renewal in your church, in your community, in your soul, you have got to get along with him and say, God, reveal to me the idols that I'm holding on to. I'm telling you, we are living in a day and a time right now where the church of Jesus Christ, if she would only lay down her idols, he would move. But we don't. Proverbs 28, 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. So when I refuse to hear God's word, when, 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 I, when I hear something in God's word taught to me, I hear it, I understand it, but my perspective is I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Maybe already in the text that we've looked at today, you, you've heard something and you go, nope, not doing that. If you know what God wants and you flat out refuse to do it, you will not see power in your prayer life. You will not see renewal in your soul. Because the renewal that comes through prayer is tethered to your willingness to be obedient to God. The prayers of the person who knows what God wants them to do and refuses to do it, I wouldn't use this language. He does. He says, it's detestable to me. The one who hears the word like right now, who won't conform to that, then wants to go and get something from me, but refuses to obey me, their prayers are detestable to me. Proverbs 21, 13. Here's another example of the mute button. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Friends, we live in a first world culture. We have opportunity. We have opulence. We have more than we need. This verse should get our attention. It should make us kind of <gasps> seize up in this moment. 
Because God cares so much about people who are in need. He's unwilling to meet your need if you're not willing to be part of the solution that meets somebody else's need. If you choose to neglect the needs of others, if you don't really care for the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the poor, if you're not really broken by injustice, willing to do something about that, God wants to bring you to the place by hitting the mute button on your prayer life where you don't sense him. He wants to bring you to the point where all of a sudden you begin to see that injustice matters to him. The marginalized matter to him. Those who are vulnerable matter to him. And when you are willing to use your resources on their behalf, God says, I'll use my resources on your behalf. When he sees you acting about what he cares about, he's moved to act about what you care about. But God wants to bring us, listen, God wants to bring us to the place that we are moved by more than what happens in our own little orbits. Here's another example of God's mute button. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, <clears throat> it reads, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In the day and in the time that this was, uh, that Peter was writing, there was an inequity of power. The man had a lot more power in the relationship than the woman did. And so the principle here is broader than just a marriage principle. The principle is this, if you have power, and you use that power to, to, uh, for the benefit of you and not for the benefit of others. Don't expect me to use my power for the benefit of you. In your workplace, if you're a supervisor, in your home, if you have a measure of power and authority over children or whatever it is, if you're not willing to use that for the betterment of other people, then when you go to God and say, God, would you use your power for me? God is going to hit the mute button because he wants to bring you to the place that you use your power the same way you're asking him to use his power. So if you're harsh, if you're selfish, God is willing to turn a deaf ear to your prayers so you'll turn your heart to their needs. So maybe instead of giving up on prayer because it doesn't work, maybe this week you say, God, where do I have power? And what does it look like for me to use it towards other people the way that you would? And then when you go to hand in prayer, you just might notice a difference. Last one, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus says that when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. One of the greatest hindrances to a vibrant prayer life is unforgiveness. If there is something someone has done to you at some point and you still hold bitterness in you, you still hold a measure of unforgiveness, you can't look at them and treat them the same way that Jesus would. Here's what I know about you. Your prayer life stinks. It stinks. 
Because that unforgiveness chokes the pipeline between you and God where you can have a vibrant connection. People don't realize the price you pay for unforgiveness is you lose a vibrant connectedness to Jesus. And you'll not see God move. And rather than forgive that person, we give up on prayer all together. Surprisingly, maybe the best thing that you could do to kickstart your prayer life is to once and for all finally actually forgive them for that thing, not because they deserve it, but because you need to be connected in a vibrant way to the Father. I don't know what the next several months are going to look like. Some people say, you know, the Omicron variant is going to kind of do this and we're going to kind of get back to normal. And I'm not exactly sure what normal is and if I want to go back to it. But I do know this. If the virus suddenly went away tomorrow, the church of Jesus Christ in America is not healthy. The potential's great. But we've got to seize that potential by being people of prayer. And I want to invite you to reconnect to God in prayer. But I want to raise the question today that I don't think very many people will do. Is God putting you on mute today? Is there an issue that you need to deal with so that that mute button could be lifted and you could go to him and say, God, I want your kingdom in me. Do a new thing in me. Make me spiritually fit to receive what you already want to do in this world. And if you do, you could be the first glimmer of light at First Baptist Church Jackson, in your home, in the community of Jackson, and around the world. And maybe, just maybe, that could become more contagious than what we've been dealing with. Let's pray. God, we come to you acknowledging that prayer has been a struggle for so many of us in so many ways. It becomes religious, ritual, routine, a labor, but not a labor of love. We ask, God, that you would reframe the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about you, that we would see the incredible invitation that you extend to us to come to you in prayer. But God, we, we, we realize maybe afresh and anew that we need to be spiritually fit to receive what it is you want to do. So move in us, God. Spirit of God, open our eyes. Call your church back to you. We repent of every idol. We repent of every attempt to acquire power more than righteousness. And we come with open hands and we ask God that you would hear our prayer, that we would be tethered to you. We would walk in the fullness of who you have created us to be. That vibrancy would be experienced in our prayer life. And that the move of God would break forth out of our life into our church, into our world.
once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.